You know how when we're reading the Gospels and you read something in the Gospels and you're like, have we ever read this? Do we, do we read this already? And it's like, oh, oh, I'm reading Mark, but I just read it in Matthew and that's where the overlap is. I read Matthew's version of it and now I'm reading Mark's version of it and it's changing. Well, guess what? Second Samuel is like that with First Chronicles. And there are some things that are in First Chronicles that are word for word identical to the things that happened in Second Samuel. And so there's going to be some of some of our time this morning where you're going to have one finger on your page in Second Samuel and another finger on the page of First Chronicles. And we'll just flip back and forth. Uh, I have a, a really cool Bible study tool that has all these books in it and all that. And I found in there it has an interlinear chronological King David and it puts Psalms, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Chronicles, all ne- and First and Second Kings, when applicable, all next to each other at the same time. So some of the stuff we talk about today, I got from that, looking at how it shows them all in chronological order. It's really a cool thing. So, so let's start in Second Samuel chapter five. Then all the tribes... Oh, wait, it says then, so i got to recap. Uh, so David's been in Hebron. He's been the king of southern Judah, which is an, one of the tribes and a couple other tribes around it, for seven years already, while Ishbosheth and Abner and the descendants of Saul all kind of sort out who's going to lead, who's going to control, and now it's just going to be David. And they've all decided, okay, David's going to be king. They all come, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. You might have a translation that says flesh and bone. And that's a good way to know how your Bible translates things. Because the original Hebrew is bone and flesh. But in America, American English in the 20th century, we say flesh and bone. So if it says bone and flesh, you know you have a translation that translates things more literal. And if it says flesh and bone, you know that you have a translation that translates it more the way we talk in 20th century America. Isn't that funny? Just a little tiny thing like that. We are your bone and flesh, flesh and bone. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. Wow, that's a lot longer than Saul reigned, isn't it? At Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. At Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem. Oh, we're not going to talk about that yet. Okay. So all the people of Israel come. 
And they all say, we want you to be our king. You led Israel so good. Even when Saul was king, you led so many of us. Now just keep on leading us. You're awesome. And it's really exciting because you think, okay, like how many people? Right? You think they sent like representatives, like a little Congress or a little Senate to go, maybe a delegation. You know, we're going to send... It says all of Israel came. I mean, did really all of Israel can't all go to Hebron because that'd be like the whole country of the United States going to Rhode Island, right? That just can't, that can't happen. Well, 1 Chronicles 11 tells us who went. And it's really awesome. So let's see here. Do, do, do. Nope, it's 12. Yes. Maybe it's not 12. I lost track. I got it. I, I looked at a light. Oh, I can't do it again. I looked at a light and I got a, you know how you get spots in your eyes when you look at a light? <laughs> right at the end of that last song, I looked at some bright light or it reflected. And every time I try to read something, all I see is that spot in the middle of my eye right now. Bear with me if I have trouble this. Okay. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 12. Yes. And you skip down to verse 30, 23. 1 Chronicles 12, 23. These are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came up to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him. So this is that event. When, when David became king, this is the telling of it in 1 Chronicles. According to the word of the Lord, the men of Judah bearing shield and spear were 6,800 armed troops. Okay, so now you already know what kind of scale we're going to be talking about here, right? The other thing that's cool, um, you know how like spaghetti in Cincinnati has like chili on it, but spaghetti in Evansville, like in Evansville, you guys eat uh, peanut butter sandwiches with your chili like we have friends from out of town they came we're eating peanut butter sandwiches with our chili they're like what is this why do you do this we're like we thought that's how everybody did it you go down to louisiana i, I had this on from person of authority the mcdonald's sausage biscuits in louisiana are hotter and spicier than they are in evansville because louisiana people just expect spicier okay all that to say, the people that are coming from all of these different tribes, it mentions what is peculiar and special about them. Because this tribe might live in a forest, so they have access to all kinds of wood, so they can make bow and arrows really well. This other tribe might have access to an iron mine, and so they can mine ore and build swords and spears. Okay, so when it mentions what they have, this is kind of like, these are the hill people, these are the people from the land of the fire, these are the people from the water, you know, like you see in the movie or something. Okay. Shield and spear from Judah. Of the Simeonites, mighty men of valor for war, 7,100. Of the Levites, you think the Levites are just priests? Nope, they can fight. 4,600. The prince Jehodiah of the house of Aaron, and with him 3,700. 
Zadok, a young man mighty in valor, and 22 commanders from his own father's house. Okay, now wait, 22 commanders. This other guy has 6,700 guys with shields and spears, and you've got 22 commanders. You know how different states in the United States, we, we structure things differently, right? So the tribes structured things differently. Instead of counting all the fighting men, these uh, Zadok guys, they count just the commanders. But the commanders aren't by themselves. They're commanding an army. Of the Benjamites, the kinsmen of Saul. This is a big deal. These are people that could have been heirs to the throne if Saul would have continued. 3,000 of whom the majority to that point had kept their allegiance to the house of Saul. Like they had been for Saul right up until this very moment. So seven years of David reigning down south, they were still holding out hope that somebody from their tribe would become king. Of the Ephraimites, 20,800 Ephraimites. Mighty men of valor, famous men in their father's houses. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 who were expressly named to come and make David king. So these guys, the the half-tribe of Manasseh, they took a part of their army and said, we want you guys to be the special section of the army that declares David as king. (laughs) Whoa. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen in their command. Of Zebulun, 50,000 seasoned troops equipped for battle with all the weapons of war to help David with the singleness of purpose. These guys are intense, right? Of Naphtali, 1,000 commanders with whom were 37,000 men armed with shield and spear. Of the Danites, 28,600 men equipped for battle, like they're coming with their own weapons. David doesn't have to figure out how to arm these guys. They're already armed. Of Asher, can you believe I'm still going on? (laughs) 40,000 seasoned troops ready for battle. Of the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe Manasseh from beyond the Jordan, 120,000 men armed all with the weapons of war. So this is like a million fighting men. Now the other thing that's wild is this, David's been reigning in Hebron for seven years. So all of these guys either survived the battle with Saul or they knew somebody that died in the battle where Saul fell, right? Where Saul was defeated. Or they were all too young to be fighting with Saul. And over the past seven years, they've been growing up and aging into the army. So they're probably, not only are they all armed and they're all fighting men, they've either seen battle and have now had seven years off, or they have grown up never, never fighting a war like the war under Saul, um, relative peace, maybe like raids here and there, kind of things with the Philistines. And they all come. That is who all come. Just massive, massive. The, you can imagine just 
the the countryside would be filled with this army all coming to make David king. All right. Flip back to 1 Samuel. So David makes a covenant with them before the Lord. It doesn't give any details of the covenant. Oh, wait a second. We went back to 1 2 Samuel too fast. You got to hear what they did. First uh, Chronicles twelve thirty eight. So there's like a million guys, a million army guys, right? All these men of war, arrayed in battle order, came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were a single mind and made David king. So even the people that couldn't go, they were all for it. There's nobody on the news stirring up bad stuff about David saying he shouldn't become king. They were all in on it. They were there with David for three days. I love this part. Eating and drinking for their brothers had made preparation for them. And also their relatives from as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys and on camels and on mules and on oxen, abundant provisions of flour, cakes of figs, clusters of raisins, wine, oil, oxen, and sheep. <laughs> this is a three-day major party. Raisins and figs. Raisins and figs were like their candy. They would just, and they had superstitions that they would make you act kind of wild. So that would get the party going more than just wine. So they have this huge party, three days. David makes a covenant with all of them. I will be your king. Everything is awesome, except for the Jebusites. Oh, dear. So Jab Jabus is a city in the promised land and it's not a big city it's a population of about a thousand people not a big town but it is between two big valleys and so the city of Jabus sits up high it's a city on a mountainside so to speak it's on the top of the mountainside and there's valleys down on both sides so to attack Jabus and to attack the Jebusites is so difficult because you're fighting almost a vertical uphill battle the whole time. They have a tunnel going down from Jabus, down through the ground. Archaeologists have found this. And it goes down, 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 and then it opens up at a spring that four times a day, I don't understand the geology of it, but four times a day, just a huge surge of water comes out through this spring and they had ways of just carrying it up through their tunnels so the city always had water. You can never cut off their water supply because they're up on this high pillar, so to speak, this mountain, they're on the top of it, of this plateau, so you can't climb up and fight them. You can't lay siege to it and cut off their food supply because they've got this tunnel that goes down to a spring that's just always filling up and filling up even Joshua tried to conquer the Jebusites and Joshua couldn't do it. The only time Joshua, it mentions that Joshua killed some Jebusites and that's when they came out from their city down into the land and fought with other kings against Joshua 
and they got wiped out. Gosh. So this city, Jabus, is like perfect, right? It's impenetrable. You just can't get there. Guess what the new name of Jabus is? Jerusalem. So David, king, this massive army of a million men, all armed, all partying for three days and hyped on raisins and figs. Verse 6, the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you won't make it in here. Only the blind, the blind and the lame will run you off. So this is some ancient trash talk. You guys are so weak, a blind guy could fight you guys off. Our city is so impenetrable, the lame will beat you. Okay, kind of a weird, a weird taunt, but that's how strong they think their city is. They think their city is so tough that even the blind and the lame Jebusites can fight them off. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. So Zion is also the name of the same place. That's what David named it after he took it. He said, whoever would make would strike the Jebusites, let him go up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind. So David's talking trash back to them. He's like, all right, look, they got a whole army of lame and blind guys up. This is like so politically incorrect. And just take my apologies. We're in the cultural setting here. But David is basically saying, all right, all those sissies up there that are blind or lame are waiting for us. Let's go kill them. Let's go show them what, that we're tougher than them. And the way to go up is through the water pipe. You want some more details, don't you? Oh, you already know what's going to happen. No, you don't. But you do. <laughs> Flip over to First Chronicles 11. You might have a little heading that says, David takes Jerusalem and ruins it. David, this is in 1 Chronicles 11, 4. David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, that is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants said to David, you won't come up here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. David said, whoever strikes the Jebusites first will be the commander and the chief commander of my army. So just think through. We got all these characters we've been talking about all week, all month of this person and that person. And if one of them heard, whoever makes it up to the Jebusites first gets to be the commander of everything. I hope you already have in mind who it is. David said, whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, so he became chief. Remember Joab? Joab's the guy that David doesn't really get along with. Joab is his nephew, and he's kind of bloodthirsty and a killer. He's tried to calm Joab down a couple times. Joab killed Abner who was the leader of Saul's army. And so now David says, whoever makes it up there, probably shouldn't have done that, David. Probably should have made that decision with wisdom. 
rather than just letting these guys fight it out, right? But Joab does it. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, and so he became chief. We don't get the details of what happened. It's probably better that we don't, right? David lived in the stronghold. Therefore, it was called the city of David, and he built the city all around from the millow in complete circuit, and Joab repaired the rest of the city, and David became greater and greater, for the Lord was with him. So Joab runs up the water pipe, leads the attack. They got a million guys. You know a million guys aren't going to go up that water pipe, right? Joab's men go up. They fight out the city. They kill everybody off. There's probably part of the million of army around, not even trying to scale the walls to get up to the thing. When they get it and they take over the city, this thing, the millow, Archaeologists have found this too. So these are giant stone blocks that David put in place so that the whole city of Jerusalem goes up like this and David just built out like a retaining wall around that already up in the air city. And so he builds this retaining wall around it and they fill it with dirt. So now Jerusalem has a wall that's 10 feet thick of stone. Keep that in mind, because when Nehemiah comes to rebuild the wall, the wall that he is rebuilding is this wall that it mentions that David built. 50 feet tall, 10 feet thick stone. Wow. And so David lives there in the stronghold and calls it his city. Back to 2 Samuel verse 11. Hiram, king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. Okay, so here we are. We're 20th century America. When we think of castles and kings, everything goes to Europe and England, right? I mean, that's just from the cartoons we grew up watching, all of that. These guys weren't building castles. They weren't building medieval castles. This is uh, 2,000 years before medieval castles. So they're building them out of wood. But let's talk about this wood for a minute. So Tyre was an island north of Israel. It's still there today. And they had cedar trees that were massive. I mean like 50 feet in diameter massive. That in 1000 B.C., Archaeologists have put the age of these trees at about 3,000 years old. So, if you do the math, if it's 1,000 B.C. and these trees are 3,000 years old, you're talking about they were planted when Noah's Ark landed on the land. So these are old trees. They found historical records of these trees that in the North Lebanon, cedars of Lebanon, they still have cedars of Lebanon. Um, they were thousands and thousands of years old. So can you imagine the hardwood we're talking about? We're not talking about, you know, a 200-year-old oak. We're talking about a 3,000-year-old cedar. 
And cedar has special sap in it that resists mildew and resists bugs, resists rotting just naturally. So his house, his stronghold, is made out of wood that is harder than some of our stone. Like you get a mason block that you can chip and break and all that stuff. If you drop it wrong, these cedar logs would not do that. They were, they were tough. So the king of Tyre sends all that to David. Why in the world would he do that? The dude just took Jabus. No one has taken the city of Jabus. Joshua, think of all the people Joshua killed, all the armies, all the exploits, how God led Joshua. They took the whole promised land. How Caleb went into the hill country and killed off all the giants. But they couldn't even take Jabus. And now... Here comes a king of these people and Jabus has fallen. This is the best king ever. This is the toughest, strongest, mightiest Israel has ever been. He took the toughest, hardest city to ever conquer and killed all the people and took it for his own and renamed it. Like you never rename a city unless you own it, right? Wow. And so Hiram, king of Tyre, you don't get all those details. You just get that he sent the wood. He sent millions and millions and millions of dollars. of. I mean, it's like, it's like he just gave David a whole bunch of nukes. Like the superpower of the day is really strong wood. You built, you're going to build a castle out of Lebanon, Tyre, cedar on top of Jabus. This is like Fort Knox. No one will reach you, right? Superpower. So David did it. Oh, and they sent carpenters and masons. This is my favorite part. They sent carpenters and masons from Tyre because the wood is so good and so hard, none of David's carpenters are even going to know how to work with it. It's just, it's that next level. So not only does David have the city of Jabus, Not only does he build the Milo around it with the 50-foot tall, 10-foot thick wall, but now he has the wood of Tyre with their specialty carpenters and masons to come and build his house. Wow. Verse 12. This is an understatement. David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. David realizes that God has made him king. David isn't looking at his big old castle and his city and all of his army men and being like, look at what a great thing I did. I am really awesome. He recognized, he knew that the Lord established him as king. That the Lord did it. There's a thing that happened early in our marriage where I was leading a mission trip out to South Dakota on an Indian reservation. It's taking 15, 20-year-old, 20-ish people, and we're going to work on an Indian reservation out there for a week. We didn't know how we were going to get there. And we were trying to find a way, and none of our cars, it, it was a 24-hour drive, and nobody wanted to take their cars because it, it's really rough. I would call a rental car company to rent a 15-passenger van, 
and everything would be great. And the guy would say, hey, so where are you going? And I'd say, South Dakota to an Indian reservation. Oh, that's a restricted, we can't rent you a van to go there. You, sorry. And they would cut us off. And it was like, what, what why? I could drive to California. He's like, yeah, you could drive to California, but not an Indian reservation. And so we were having a lot of trouble getting down to the final weeks, getting ready to go. And um, John Lovelace, I told him about it. And he's like, you call this church, you tell these people, and you tell them John Lovelace called you and said that they need to let you borrow their van. Okay. So I called him up. In the name of John Lovelace, I command you. No. I said, hey, John Lovelace said you might be able to help me out with the van. I was so nervous. I did not, I did not know the authority that John Lovelace wielded with these people. And they were like, okay, yes, come and get it. You can use it. And I got it, and Dave Schwambach saw me pull into the parking lot with this old church bus van. He said, you got it. He knew that it was getting close. He said, you got a van? I said, I did. He said, Dan Sullivan, you go home and get down on your knees and thank God for that van. Because he knew how hard it was to find one. That, we did not know it at the time, but that would become kind of a chorus in our family life. Not just for vans, but definitely for vans. But different things where God answered our prayers and it was obvious that God did this thing. That God answered and helped and interceded and intervened and then Cindy and I will say to each other Dan Sullivan you need to go home and get on your knees and thank God for that van this is the state that David was in he recognizes gosh you guys I mean 10 years ago I was in a cave do you remember when David said we talked about this in 1 Samuel when David said Surely Saul will finally, at some point, catch up with me and kill me. He had given up. He said, I know, I know this isn't going to end right. I know it. eventually Saul is going to kill me. And he kept running. And here he is, sitting on a cedar couch, probably has cushions on it, in the city of the Jebusites, not conquered for thousands of years, He's got an army of a million armed men all around the city. He's just built this tremendous wall. You thought Jebus was bad before. Now it has a 50-foot tall, 10-foot thick wall around it. And he just recognizes the Lord has done this for the sake, not even for his sake, for the sake of his people Israel. God loves us so much that he has done this. All right, then we got this weird part, but we got to read it in the context, okay? David took some more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. What? Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about he already had seven wives? Comes to In Hebron he had seven wives. He comes from Hebron to Jerusalem, becomes king. Concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. And more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of the, those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemura, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. That's 11. So now he's up to 18. 
Not now. This is over the course of his whole life. These are all the kids. Presumably, every one of those kids is from a different mom. You got to remember, women were just property getting traded, and they were symbols of authority over a region. And so, if he has a concubine, a wife, and he has a child, wherever they came from, that region is all saying, Oh, David, you know, little Janie, she lives up there in the castle. She's one of ours. She had a baby with the king. So it's a matter of favor from the, the area, not countries, the states, so to speak. It's like if, yeah, I don't know. There's no good comparison because <laughs> it's kind of awful. <laughs> All of this doesn't mean that David is just this mad lover that's not satisfied. We'll get to that with Solomon. David is showing how much he's gaining the favor of all the people and of all he's making peace with all these lands. It's sort of the same thing as the king of Tyre giving him a whole bunch of cedar wood is all of these women from all these different countries are coming to be his wives. All right, we got time for one more blip. Nope, we don't. It's exciting to see how God works in David's life. Because we see so many times that God makes a promise. I mean, God made a promise to David when he was like seven, right? He was a kid. He was a shepherd. All of his family was like, I mean, he's the squirt of the family. We send him out to have sheep. They said, when asked, are all of your kids here? His dad said, yeah, but he wasn't there. <laughs> like, talk about not counting, right? Well, yeah, we do have one more kid. He's out with the sheep. And Samuel's like, get him in here. None of us are going to sit down until he is here before me. Like, okay, let's get him. Little old David gets this promise from God that you're going to be the king and I'm going to take care of you and I will look after you and I will bless you. And it takes years, you guys, for any of that to come true, for any of that to come to fruition. And there's numerous times along the way, David totally messes it up. And you think, oh, he is done now. God's going to change his mind. Like when God told Moses, scoot over a little bit. I'm going to wipe out all these people and start over with just you. And God doesn't do that. He sticks with David. He didn't do it with Moses either, right? All of this leads to this promise and this covenant that God says, I'm going to put one of your descendants on the throne, David, and he is going to rule forever. If you don't believe that, look at how long it took you to become king. But once I make you king, look at, look at what kind of king David is. He's in the city of the Jebusites. He's got this massive wall. He's got an army of a million people. And some of the people in the army are descendants of of the king that tried to kill him like five times. God is faithful. God is caring for him. And God is fulfilling his promise to him. All right. More action next week. Gruesome. Maybe. We'll see. All right. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. 
that you would make a promise to the least little kid in the least little family, in the least little tribe, in the least little race of people in the whole world. And you would bring a king out of him and out of that family that would save us all, all over the world. We praise you, Lord. Drive home your faithfulness into our hearts and help us to hold out hope and to look and to see all the great things that you do. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right.